Welcome to Wine, Women, and Writing. This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and I talk to other authors about their stories and the complex authentic female characters of their core, and often the real-life issues that they're based upon, all of which translate, in my opinion, into great things. And I like to do this with some humor, the occasional dive into profanity, oversharing, irreverence, whatever, and vast quantities of wine, coffee, or whatever gets us through the day. Today, we have top 10 New York Times bestseller J.A. Jantz on to talk about her latest Brady suspense novel, Field of Bones. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Writing, J.A. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, when I think about vast quantities of whatever gets me through another day, it's mostly dog snuggles and horse kisses. Since my kids are all grown and my husband travels all the time, what's your go-to pick-me-up on those hard-riding days? Go outside and take a walk. Yeah, that I, I live out in the country, uh, rurally, and that really helps me as well. Now, you split time between, what is it? It's, is it Seattle or is it somewhere in Washington and somewhere? Well, it's, it's, I actually live in Bellevue, Washington, which is right across Lake Washington from Seattle. Cool. But people know Seattle, so I usually say I split my time between homes in the Seattle area and in Tucson. Well, definitely Seattle is, as long as it's not raining, or Bellevue, a great place to walk. Um, well, when I was um, lucky enough to, to learn I was going to get to talk to you on the show, I was given a copy of uh, Field of Bones. And I am so excited because it's the very first Sheriff Joanna Brady novel that I've read, and I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. I mean, people often ask me, well, should I start at the beginning or should I start with the new book? Well, a lot of times I meet readers because they have picked up the new book. And so the trick to writing a series is to include enough of the background information that new readers, as you were, feel at home and comfortable with the characters, while at the same time not boring the long-time readers to death. So it's a, it's a tightrope act. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm really grat I'm gratified to know that it's where you started, and I hope you'll go back and read the others. I definitely will. I I will talk some more about um, some of the things that really intrigued me about Joanna as I was reading, but it really did make me want to go back to the beginning of her journey as a woman and as a sheriff um, and read from- And the, as a mother. Yeah, exactly. Mother, um, daughter, you know, I think that daughter in Fill the Bones was a really important aspect of her womanness. So it, it's going to be fun to go back and read them all. And I've got to say that under the category of Pamela's Big Regrets, I had the chance last year to go up and meet you and ask to get a picture together. We were both at Killer Nashville and you, I was getting the award for Best Mystery and you were cleaning up. You'd won Best Thriller and a couple of Reader Choice Awards for Clawback. And I ran out of there with a migraine. So first, congratulations on the win. But next time our paths cross, I'm getting the picture. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so getting back to Sheriff Joanna Brady, um, for, uh, 
for her, being a sheriff at this point in this book seems a little bit challenging as she mixes some challenges in her personal life with her challenges at work. Can you tell us a little bit about where she is in this one? Well, most women don't live their lives solo with the company of a ficus and maybe a cat. Most women live complicated lives that include work, church, family, in-laws, outlaws, all of those things. And so I wanted to create a character who lived in what felt like and feels like the real world. So this is a Joanna Brady book, yes, but it's actually Joanna Brady once removed because what happens in the prologue? She has a baby, a baby that wasn't due for several more weeks. So her whole life is blown up on election night eve when she's running, trying to find out whether or not she's been reelected. And so most of the book takes place while she's supposedly on maternity leave. So it's, it's not only her motherhood, it's her leadership skills in having brought Tom Hadlock, who was once her jail uh, commander, into the role of, of acting sheriff while she, is, while she is off and when he is faced with a real crisis, a serial killer in the county. So it, it's a complex book, but it was, and it was challenging to write, but people are, people are responding to it. She has a little bit of everything going on in this book. Uh, you know, I could really relate to her issues as a mom myself who tried to work very quickly after having uh, my second baby to issues like, okay, so I've been called back into work and I'm not replaceable and who's going to nurse the baby and where's my breast pump going to go and things like that, that really came out in this book. I could feel for her. Well, I thank you. I'm, I, I really had tried to make her a fully, um, a fully realized person in the book. Definitely did that for me. Um, one of the things that um, jumped out at me too is, you know, this, it, it, she's had, and I learned this as a first time reader in this book, she's in a happy second marriage, go Joanna, I am too, um, after widowhood and single motherhood. And I, it's just really relatable. I mean, it's like you said, most people that are reading these books have complex lives and, and have to struggle through more things at, that, that, you know, at once than just, I get up and I do my job. No, you get up, you do your job and you've got the kids and you've got the family and the parents and everything else. So what, was there anything in particular that made you take her on this journey, if you will, from where she was in book one up through where she is now, the, the um, second marriage and the widowhood and the single motherhood? Well, it really has been a journey. I don't, I don't outline my books. I don't outline my series. I sort of pick up with her 
I picked up with her when she was in her late 20s. She was sitting at home with her nine-year-old daughter. This is in Desert Heat. Her nine-year-old daughter and her mother. And waiting for her husband, Andy, to come home so they can go out and celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary. Jenny, who is a smart little twerp, has had a little bit of sex ed at Greenway School, and she has suddenly figured out, counted on her fingers, and there are not enough months between her birthday and her parents' wedding anniversary. <laughs> and so she, she pops this question to her mother saying, Mom, was I a preemie? Which is a disastrous question because, of course, she wasn't a preemie. It was a wedding that was late. <laughs> and it's been something that Joanna's mother has held over her daughter's head all this time. So that's, that's where we start out. So it's already a complex family drama before we find out that her husband is late coming home because he's been the victim of a drug cartel hitman out on the road. You're and that was that was where we started. You're really good. I go along. She gets things, she gets way. elected. Pardon? I said you're really good at these complex beginnings. By the way, that was something I really liked about. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just had to say that that everything happening at once, you know, turning, turning, emotional beginning is really cool. Well, the the other thing I I never expected she was going to marry the second time this guy butch shows up in the third book i thought he was a one book character but he kept coming back and he he just wouldn't go away so finally they ended up getting married but that was a surprise to me <laughs> so i'm i'm walking with my characters on this journey and and i'm so glad my readers are willing to come on this journey with all of us well, it's a lot like real life too, then, isn't it? You just don't know what's going to happen next, <laughs> them or you. So, in I, go ahead. Okay, no, go ahead and ask your question. I'm sorry. I, that's okay, and I apologize because I think we have a little bit of delay. I'm talking to JA from Texas. Are you in um, Washington this time of year? Are you? in Arizona. Yes, I'm in I'm in I'm usually in Tucson this time of year, but my husband had surgery recently, so we are not traveling right now. Ah. So we do have a little bit of a um a mileage gap between us. So when I was also looking at this book and thinking about Joanna and the issues that she faces and how being a woman brought something very particular to her role, one thing that struck me was the reality of her being a sheriff on the border, um, the border with Mexico along one side of her large, you know, population, uh, non-dense and mileage, <laughs> huge mileage, square mileage um, county, as well as on the border of Mexico and the immigration issues that arose. And, and what I really loved in this book was there was a particular victim, a young woman, um, and we learned very early on about this character, Amelia, and Joanna used an extraordinary amount of tenderness and humanity with the family and um, really reached out woman to woman in that family. And I thought that was really, really cool. 
um, and, and something very special about Joanna? Well, she is, she's a sheriff, but she is also a woman of faith. Her best friend is her pastor, Marianne McElyay. And so again, she's, she's not your hard bitten loner, uh, heavy drinking, tough guy detective. She's a person. Right. The, when the book opened and I talked about the, the complexity of your emotional, um, emotionally conflicted opening really struck me, really hooked me in early. One of the things that also I noticed right off the bat was that she was facing a lot of sexism in her campaign to be reelected for sheriff since she was running with a baby on board carrying her third child. And I know that a lot of women have faced things like this. Uh, I know I did, you know, when I was in my pre-author days, was working as a mother with um, kids for you challenging in the ways it was for Joanna with, um, you know, the sexist issues and, and things like that. Well, I'm, when my first child was born, I was teaching school and she was born just before Christmas vacation. So I missed a total of eight days of school. So um, a lot of what is in the book is a reflection of my own life. I, one of Joanna's problems is she was, her father died at when she was a teenager. And she has always had sort of a, a prickly relationship with her mother, but her mother is the last parent standing in that family. And as a consequence, I know about last, I'm the last parent standing in my family because my first husband died of chronic alcoholism at age 42, a year and a half after I divorced him. And what happens in families like that when there are young children is the parent who is dead gets a free pass and he is suddenly elevated to saint-like status. And the parent who's left, the one who says, do your homework, clean your room, take out the garbage, do the dishes, that parent becomes the source of all evil. And so that dynamic has been at work in Joanna's relationship with her mother all through her life. I, I think part of what I really liked about writing Field of Bones was to see the complex relationship between the characters who are on the screen and their parents and grandparents and the impact those multi-generations have on the ones who are walking on the stage right now. There's Letitia. People are going to think that this is just a family drama, but it's really a serial killer. There's a serial killer at work. Early on, Tom Hadlock discovers a dump site where there are several sets of human remains, and they realize that they've got a serial killer operating in the county. What they don't realize is that this is a serial killer who captures young women 
and holds them in a, what, what is essentially a ghost town in southeastern Arizona, holds them in an old building there and keeps them in the dark, chained to the wall for months on end. And Letitia is one of those girls. She's, the girls are sort of throwaway girls. So there hasn't been much effort made as far as, as you can tell from law enforcement to have these girls declared missing to say, to say nothing of have someone go looking for them. Letitia is one of those girls. Um, she hooked up with the wrong boy who turned out to be a pimp. He took her to New Orleans, put her out on the street. And that was where she was when she was captured. So she's this young woman who's rebellious and, and angry with her mother and angry with her stepfather. And yet during her months of captivity, what is it that sustains her? It's memories of her stepfather making pancakes on a Saturday morning. When she is escapes, when she sees the opportunity to escape, what words sustain her? The words her stepfather passed along to her. Then there's this young deputy, Garth Raymond. His father is sort of a turkey and abandons his son and drops him off and leaves him with his parents to keep. And Garth Raymond is the product of of his upbringing from his grandparents. And so those two people, Garth Raymond and Letitia, create this incredible bond of one rescuing the other in, in what felt like magical writing to me. It was, those scenes were so, dynamic as far as I could see and we're full of so much out of all this darkness there comes so much possibility and so much hope and I I really thought it was inspiring I, I absolutely loved that you were able to find that light out of all that dark because it is with the serial serial killer and the things that he was doing to these young girls extremely a dark crime an extremely dark crime and um, and young women, like you said, that are on the fringe of society and at risk, but loved and respected each other and developed relationships. And then Letitia and Garth, when they save each other in, in, in a sense, it was, it was really powerful. Loved it. I also loved as a stepmom whose kids were raised by a stepfather, I also found it really touching that Letitia was impacted more by her stepfather than she let herself realize in the day-to-day -day anger of being a young woman and growing up poor and that his words and his pancakes sustained her. It was very cool. Well, the, the thing about art is if you look at a painting, what makes the painting is the contrast between light and dark. I'm sitting here in my bedroom looking at a painting of an autumn scene 
and there's blue sky up above surrounded by rain clouds that are just about ready to burst. And it's the contrast between the light and the dark that makes the painting come alive. And in writing, it's the contrast between the light and the dark that makes the story come alive. If it's all dark, or if it's all gray, or if it's all bright and frothy, it doesn't really gel. You have to have the contrast to make it really work. So what are you working on? Uh, what's, what's your project that you're working on right now, speaking of light and dark and the ways that it interplays? Well, I just finished writing the next Alley book. It's called The A-List. Oh, cool. And in that book, I created a character who is the most amazing killer I've ever, she's, she's a, <laughs> Hannah is a really affecting bad guy. And I was riding along in the book, it was July and things were going great guns. And I killed Hannah off and the book stopped and I couldn't get it going again. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. And I finally decided, well, Hannah can't die. I had to bring, <laughs> I had to go back and bring her back to life. It was the only, it was the only way to finish the book. That book is currently in editorial right now. I'll probably get the copy editing back um, sometime within the next two weeks. In the meantime, I've written a prologue for the next. Beaumont book, Beaumont number 24. Oh my so God. So I've been, I've been, I've been writing these books for decades. I wrote the first Beaumont as what I thought was a standalone in 1982. I started it in 1982. And here I am writing the 24th book in that series. Field of Bones is Joanna Brady, 18. Um, the A-list will be Allie Reynolds, number 14. And then I have five Walker books. For somebody who didn't start writing until the middle of March of 1982, I think that's a pretty impressive total. It's a pretty impressive total. My jaw's kind of dropped. And do you ever get tired of them? Do you ever think, man, I just really want a fifth series or, you know, or a fifth protagonist to work with here because I'm tired of these guys? Or do you enjoy them like old friends? I they're like old friends. When I sat down to write that first bit of the Beaumont book, he was already making me laugh. His books are written in the first person. So it's his, his wry humor coming, coming through. And he says something about, I hate it when my wife is right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I enjoy the long-term relationship with the characters because you get to explore so much of their history in depth. Beaumont was raised in Seattle. He's a Seattle native. He was raised in Seattle by a single mother. His, his parents were engaged during World War II when his father was killed in an automobile accident, a motorcycle accident. So 
he was raised by a single mom. Uh, her parents were totally disapproving. So she was entirely on their, on her own. She worked as a seamstress. They lived in an apartment over a bakery. So he has never, he never had a dog. He grew up without having a dog. And suddenly in the last book, uh, the book previous to the one I'm working on now, he ended up getting a dog because there was a domestic violence situation where his wife, Mel, is the police chief, and she can get the wife and the kids into a shelter, but there's no shelter that will take this 90-pound Irish wolfhound. So a, a dog named Rambo comes home <laughs> to live with them. Uh, and so... Uh, it's, you got the dog was named dog. Rambo, but it was a mean name. The dog's real name was Lucy. So now Bo and Lucy are are sort of trying to sort things out. And Lucy has a timer. I, I, I used to say dogs can't tell time, but my dogs can tell time. They know exactly at three o'clock and my one dog will pick up this obnoxious squeaker toy and say, it's time for food now. Well, in this, in that prologue yesterday, Beaumont was, he likes to get up, he likes to have his coffee, he likes to sit in front of the fire and work his crossword puzzles. But at 10 o'clock sharp, Lucy goes out through the doggy door, brings in her Frisbee and drops it on his toe because it's time for her to play. So <laughs> things from one book carry over to the next book. But the trick of being a serial author is remembering all that stuff. I don't know how you remember it with, you know, 50 books. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Your brain is amazing. It's, getting, it, it's right up there. I think the one I'm working on now is number 57. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I, my hat is off to you because I can't remember what I had for breakfast. At 57 books, I won't remember at all. <laughs> was happening in the earlier ones and you also write on your blog I was I was browsing your blog blog the other day and you write long stories on your blog well my husband says Judy with you there is no short story you only have long stories <laughs> <laughs> well that's a treat but, for all of us um so the, the blog you, is sort of the blog okay. is a window on my life well, it was fun, and and one of the things I wanted to get you to um, to tell the listeners about is you talk about considering considering yourself a sip pop, S I P P O P, and what is that all about? This well, when my my mother Ebby had her first batch of grandchildren in the fifties, and she had this little plastic wallet that she kept in her purse and carried around in her purse full of pictures of the grandchildren. And she said she was an SIG with PIP, silly old grandma with pictures in purse. <laughs> and so when, when my grandson Colt did his solo last week in the band concert, I have a video of it on my phone. So now I'm a silly old grandma with pictures on phone.
phone. <laughs> so the more things change, the more they stay the same, except for technology. <laughs> that's awesome. But, but that story about Colt is really inspiring because four years ago, I'm sorry, three years ago in fourth grade, he joined the band, he asked to play the trumpet, and he, Cole's father died of melanoma after a nine-year battle with cancer when Colt was nine months old. So Colt, well, we have a picture of John holding Colt, but Colt has no memory of his father. But every Veterans Day and every Memorial Day, they go 90 miles to Cleoam to the uh, to the Monroe um, Memorial, which is the Coast Guard uh, cemetery. And John, our son-in-law, was active duty Coast Guard at the time he was diagnosed with cancer and was and had been medically retired two months before he died. So when Colt joined the band, he went to the band teacher and said, I want to learn to play tr trumpet and I want to be able to pay, play Amazing Grace oh. at my dad's grave on Memorial Day next year. And the band teacher taught him to do that. And um, he played it. He ended up playing Amazing Grace on a radio show in Seattle because they, they had a program and they said, well, what are you doing on Memorial Day? And Colt called up and said, well, I'm going to play Amazing Grace for my dad at the cemetery. And so now, three years later, he is in jazz band in his junior high. And his trumpet solo was a long way from that initial uh, amazing grace but but the, those are the kinds of stories I like to tell in my blog because I I think there's so much bad news these days and I try to make my blog be a little bit of good news for a Friday morning it's a little bit of that light in a world of dark for sure and if readers want to go um, follow your blog and sign up for your newsletter and things like that. Um, your website, let's see, I think I have it pulled up. Nope, I don't have it pulled up right now. What the web address is? It's, it's really hard to remember. It's jajans.com. <laughs> Perfect. It's almost no caps, no, no <laughs> caps, no periods, no spaces. jajans.com. It's almost easy enough for me. Um, and so you have had this. Um, new release, Field of Bones, that has got me going back to the beginning of Joanna Brady that I really recommend people go out and, and pick up. You don't have to have read the other books in the series to enjoy it. And you also had another new release in, in September, I think. Um, did you also have an Alley book come out? Yes, the paperback version of uh, Duel to the Death came out. Well, I'll look forward and, to picking that up too. Duel to the Death has an interesting character, an artificial intelligence named Frigg. Frigg? <laughs> Frigg, yes. <laughs> you have fun with this, I can tell. Are you one of the right kind of writers that'll sit and laugh while you're writing, and, you know, at your own jokes? Because I do. I feel like an idiot, but... I've yes, I laugh at my own jokes. <laughs> there are... 
there there were times with Letitia that it gave me goosebumps. I reread one of my early books, earlier, my very early Beaumont books this past week, because I'm going to be bringing some of those characters back into this new book. And it's a scene where this um, rock singer, former rock singer named Jasmine Day, she, she was a big star and then she got screwed up on drugs and now she's on a tour where she is being she, she's trying to turn things around and she's focusing on sort of jazz singing she's trying to reinvent her her stardom and when that blows up she she knows she has one one more opportunity to be on the stage and it's it's after the intermission and it's right then and so what she does is she peels off her glamorous wig and shows her short haircut and then she goes back to where she started in a church in Jasper, Texas and sings some of those the gospel songs that were the songs where she started as a singer and what I know now is she became a gospel singer for real in the intervening years. And but when she peels off that wig and starts singing that song, I had goosebumps. I was reading this book that I wrote more than thirty years ago, and yet I had goosebumps on my legs when I read when I read that passage. I have goosebumps when you're when with you just telling me, you know, the the thought of someone stripping off all that artifice and going back to what's real is there's just something really powerful there. Well, I really I kept it a long time. I just looked at the I just looked at the time. I told um, J A that we would be on for twenty minutes, but um, she doesn't do short stories and we don't have short conversations. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the show with me today. And um, I look forward to meeting you and getting a chance at that picture sometime that I missed last year. Yes, let's definitely get that picture the next time we cross paths. <laughs> and now for a really exciting part of the show. This is a copyrighted production solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And my name is Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and we've been on Wine, Women, and Writing. I want to thank you out there, everyone, for listening and for joining J.A. and me. Until next time, here's to real women and the characters they write. Good wine, really great books. And J.A., thanks for being here. Thank you.